I'm Dr. Len Bayer, and this is another episode of Targeted Justice v. Garland, a podcast about an extraordinary lawsuit, which Gareth Icke called the most important lawsuit of the century. If you disagree, I would like to hear from you. This will be a special episode for two reasons. First, we can take first look at the legal brief filed in the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit, which is filed by our fearless attorney for the plaintiffs, who has our unwavering support. And, according to undisclosed sources, allegedly, Christopher Ray calls her femme for now. Anna Toledo, happy Sunday. Thank you for having me again. You know, this is the highlight of my week. Although I have to admit that yesterday I had, last night, I had the wonderful surprise of the visit of um, four TIs uh, that came over and we had a lovely time. And it was it was like the first time in a long time that I had had so much fun to, so to all of them that they know who they are, obviously. Thank you. I had a wonderful time. I'm so glad you're having this uh, human connection. We need to socialize. We don't need to be isolated. We don't have to be isolated. The program wants to isolate us, but we don't have to be isolated. And I absolutely love the background. I recognize what it is. I, I want to comment, Len. Do you see okay. how pretty I put the letters for the first for the Fifth Circuit? It's because they are they they have um, as I will talk in a little while. They have in front of them, under their consideration, three cases that will forge the destiny of the United States. And I honor them with those big letters because that's how big I think of them, of the judges comprising that court. This is why it's been called the lawsuit of the century. And there's also a second reason for this episode to be special. And this is because I am delighted to announce our first international ambassador of targeted justice in the country of Brazil, Dr. Valdimir de Oliveira, PhD. Welcome to the podcast, your ambassadorship. Oh, thank you, Len. Thank you, Anna. It's amazing. It's an honor. I already told you that. It's unbelievable what you guys are doing. And I, I feel pretty honored to, to be able to help here, to help to share the information with Brazilians. Brazilians are not aware of what's going on. So we need to definitely together fight for this, this problem. Thank you, Valdemir. We will talk to you later in the show. Before we start the long-awaited legal update, on behalf of Targeted Justice, I would like to thank all our members, supporters, and donors for your invaluable contribution to our legal efforts. Our newsletter on Substack is set to reach a million subscribers, and we're deeply grateful to those of you who decided to create a paid subscription on Substack. And of course, we always love reading your comments. I couldn't possibly share all of them, but here's just a small sample. Uh, Cheyenne writes, I am a targeted individual who appreciates all that you do, and I want to help toward the cost of fighting this crime against humanity. Even though I do not make the most money right now, 
this is what I can do for now with boldly wearing TJ merchandise. Thank you again and again. A comment from Granny. I support your work because I believe that together we can bring justice to all targeted individuals. Wonderful. And Sue writes, I think we are in a critical time to keep informed and be able to act upon events. And that is why I'm subscribing. That's a great reason, Sue. I totally agree. It's time to act and time to be empowered with knowledge. We can do an entire episode just reading your heartfelt messages, but we need to get moving because we have so much information for you today. We have a legal brief that uh, was filed in, in the Court of Appeals, which is a huge accomplishment. Anna, would you please give us a taste of how much work went into this monumental effort? When you're a solo practitioner, you are like a one-woman band. You play all the instruments at the same time and have to sing. And that requires a lot of not just uh, concentration and work, but also attention to detail. Um, I had to refile because one little number instead of 607, it said 6067. Uh, and I had to redo, you know, not to redo the whole thing, but it's just, it just goes to to explain how I have to be the attorney, but also the secretary and the paralegal. And, uh, and I, but I am very proud of it because this is an accomplishment that normally big firms with big staff do. And, and I'm very proud of, of the outcome because I, it's like we have said all along this, yes, there's targeted justice on representing his membership. There's 18 plaintiffs, but the result of this case when we succeed is that the categories, the illegal categories from the terrorist screening database, subcategories handling three and, co and four will be declared unconstitutional and ordered eliminated. That is our plea because they, uh, people that are placed there do not meet the terrorist criteria. What this means is that for those our supporters and our non-supporters, all targeted individuals will be benefited when Shriver's Air Force Base, no names, no targets, no T TSC ID number, no targets. And that is what we're aiming for. We're aiming for the day that the world can go silent for all of those that have B2K and even those of us that don't have B2K. But I, I will call it the day the world went silent. And so we filed on the 5th, which was the um, uh, Tuesday. Uh, the government has 21 days to reply to it. We still don't have, because the court will determine if they will uh, give us the hearing that we asked for. And I'm going to uh, read, you know, the arguments that we say, why should there be uh, an oral argument? Okay, uh, we asked because because the court filing an appeal doesn't necessarily entail an oral argument. Uh, they do it on a discretionary and need basis. So I ask that uh, they grant the oral argument because this uh, this court uh, presents this case presents unprecedented and momentous issues 
that this court has never seen before. For example, this appeal presents the novel question of whether the practice of including in the terrorist screening database the names of innocent Americans, such as plaintiffs' appellants, that defendant police admit do not constitute a terrorist threat represents an ultra-virus, that means uh, outside of your authority, uh, unconstitutional exercise of government power that interferes with Americans' basic liberty and property rights. And the second one is, if under the Privacy Act, it is legal for these entities, particularly the FBI, to disclose to third parties, as we know, is distributed to 18,000 tribal, federal, and state law enforcement, to 533 corp of the biggest corporations in the United States, and 1,440 organizations. That's the last count we have. So everybody, all those people and their employees get the list stating that these innocent Americans are labeled suspected terrorists under Supreme Court precedent that we discussed before, TransUnion versus uh, Ramirez, that constitutes injury in fact. That is a concrete harm that each targeted individual is suffering, being illegally and falsely labeled as a suspected terrorist. But what, what I want to, um, you know, how I, I always think that there's always a blessing in disguise, even for bad things. I think that getting the dismissal of the court at the time we got it was serendipity and it was synchronicity because the Fifth Circuit right now has three important cases that intermingle. They, they, they are complementary to each other, which is the Missouri versus Biden case where people get shadow banned uh, and their posts in social media get put uh, brought down because of government interference. That's a New Orleans case. Uh, the importance of that, as you many of you shall should know, is that the discovery by Matt Taibbi in the that that uh, FBI had sort of like a field office over at um, Twitter headquarters, and they were uh, screening and pulling down posts from like a thousand accounts. But the interesting part is that these a thousand accounts weren't famous people. They were people that had a thousand, two thousand followers. And I am absolutely certain those thousand accounts belong to targeted individuals. So that's one case that it's in the Fifth Circuit. And the other case we discussed last week, a uh, week ago, the Kovac versus Ray, about the, um, a, the lack of legal authority behind this TSDB that affects so many aspects of people's lives. And then comes in our case, which basically says, you know, there are innocent people being placed on this list for a secret reason that is illegal in and of itself, because it's in, in, in this, under this constitution we live in, it's illegal to do that. And so uh, I think it's, um, the synchronicity could not be better. I am really very happy. Let's just go to the document itself. Just one disclosure, in order to do it justice, I broke it into sections. So it wouldn't feel so overwhelming for our list of viewers because it's not really the goal of our podcast to dump all the information available 
onto your heads. I want you to really understand the legal strategy and all the caveats of the case so you would be comfortable talking about it to your friends, family, and strangers. There's so much confusion about it out there, but you don't need to be confused. We will empower you with the information, plain English, that even a fifth grader can understand. This is our mission. So let's get to it. As you said, it's on September 5th, 2023, the opening brief of plaintiff's appellants was filed in this case. So what I noticed was new in this case is that targeted justice members with interest in the case were listed in the beginning of the brief. And it contains a list of 290 individuals. Anna, please give us a little background how this list appeared in the brief. The local rules in the Fifth Circuit require that the parties disclose any person with interest in the case because the judges need to verify they don't have a conflict of interest. So in my duty, in my ethical duty to disclose, to do the you know a most complete disclosure, we submitted a list. A, it's a list that is uh, increasing every day, a, but so far it's the one that we have the complete information. It's only the people in the United States because this is a case for now, for this here and now, it's it's under the United States Constitution. We are going to, you know, targeted justice. We're going to be doing a process whereby we're going to send an email to all the people that have registered, so we make sure we have the complete information. That is why we put the names in there, so that I ethically comply with my duty to the court of telling them these people have an interest because they sent us, they are members of Targeted Justice, that they sent us a questionnaire saying, I I am interested in you verifying my name, if it's in the TSCB or not. Even though they are not parties to the case, even though this is not a class action lawsuit, you know, like I said, I am a one woman band. I, I don't have the infrastructure to carry such an endeavor. Well, those names were put in there because they are people that have expressed their interest on the outcome of the case. And that's why we included them. All right. You already mentioned it before. This statement regarding oral arguments contains two arguments. First is uh, due to unprecedented and momentous issues in this case. And you requested oral arguments on bank. Uh, which is in French means in bench. You are asking for all the active judges in the court to be present during the oral arguments. And the second one, because it contains novel questions, and these novel questions are whether the practice of including innocent Americans in the terrorist screen database represents unconstitutional exercise of government power whether the practice of disseminating information to 18,000 law enforcement, 144 organizations, and 533 corporations, and 60 countries constitutes a violation of Privacy Act. You also mentioned that. And whether the district court erred in refusing 
to issue a preliminary injunction, which contains the request to remove names of innocent Americans improperly included in TSDB. Do you have anything to add? I can only add that, for example, it's what it's 1,441 organizations that information we obtained from the El Haiti versus Cable case. I didn't make those numbers up. And so that's evidence that went into that case. Uh, the injunction, here's what we, you know, are, are what the court has to face is this. When, when a court issues an injunction, they have to do a balancing act, right? They have to um, determine, okay, these people are suffering this harm, but if I grant their, their remedy, will, will I cause a bigger harm, right? And in this particular situation, we're arguing the government didn't state any harm that it can suffer from removing innocent people from a terrorist database where they shouldn't be there in the first place. So, you know, it's like you don't even have to do a balancing act because they weren't supposed to be there in the first place. So that's, yeah, I, I think that it is uh, justified and I, and I really hope they grant our, our request for hearing because as you know, we are asking targeted individuals from the four corners of the United States and from afar also if they can come uh, to, to a rally in the audience when we do the, when we have the oral argument that we are uh, requesting. We need, we need to let the world know that this is not fantastical. This is not bizarre. These are not conspiracy theories. This is very real and it's time to stop it. Thank you, Anna. Just hypothetically, if you were gambling, let's say, what chances are that the oral arguments were granted in our case? Well, in the other two cases that are that I mentioned, they, they have granted oral argument. So I don't see why they wouldn't grant it in this one, which is as important, if not more, than the other two. I, I'm not a gambler, but I think that should answer your question. It does, Anna. I think our chances are pretty good. I like the chances. Next slide. You talk about the uniqueness of the case. And I really like these statements. You're right. Unlike dozens of prior cases challenging the TSDB, this case is not about the plight of individuals to undergo additional screening when traveling because of their status as known and suspected terrorists. The case is about the right of Americans who are not known and suspected terrorists, to be free from def defamatory government labels, to infringe upon their most fundamental constitutional, civil, and human rights. I really like that positioning. You crystallized what is so unique about this case. Yeah, contrary to all the previous uh, lawsuits that have been dismissed, because uh, the targeted individuals that have, most of them pro se filed them, they didn't have that connection of, and that evidence of the direct correlation between being illegally placed uh, in the terrorist screening database under secret categories that don't represent a terrorist threat and are not screened as such and being targeted. So th this is the first time a court encounters 
And, and what we're emphasizing, we're not even emphasizing the program here. What we're emphasizing is the right to be free from defamatory government labels. Because as mentioned before, this list goes to everywhere. One of our plaintiffs, he went to do a wire transfer in Western Union and it was denied. Uh, the same happened with another TI in New York. So it's basic things of life. As you know, Richard Lighthouse was lying on the floor and the ambulance service blocked until the deputy sheriffs secured the area because they told they were told there was a terrorist in the premises. He could have died. So we're talking here about essential services that a human being is entitled to are being blocked. Just as getting a job, just you know, just basic basic rights that we have, right? Uh, so I'm not talking, you know, about going into the torture and all of that. No, I'm just going into the fact that we are not supposed to be, none of us is supposed to be in a terrorist database when the FBI acknowledges that we know targeted individual represents a terrorist threat, period. So um, that's, that's uh, you know, and it has been recognized by the Supreme Court. It is a concrete reputational harm susceptible to redress. Thank you for explaining this further. This slide is about issues presented for review. And all these issues are about whether the district court erred in dismissing with prejudice all these following claims. You have about 13. How do they connect to each other? Is there a hierarchy of these errors? You list that they dismissed well-pleaded factual allegations. And to me, this is probably the number one. This is the most obvious, the fundamental error that the um, district court made, um, that they dismissed the amended complaint, that they dismissed the declaratory judgment, that they dismissed the petition for injunction. They rejected writ of mandamus, which is a judicial remedy. They rejected a request for limited discovery, and they mistakenly concluded that TJ lacked associated standing, and there's more, including the change of venues. But please give this list a little structure. What follows what? How would you present all this? It's really one and two are the most important ones, and the other ones go inside within those arguments, and I'll explain how. But the thing is that if you don't list the issues that you want the court to review, you deem them waived. So even though some like three on are included within one and two, and I'll explain how, well, I had to separately list them, itemize them. Otherwise, they would have been deemed renounced. OK, so the first one, which is a rule 12B1. That one, the district court says, you know, these people, this is fantastical, this is unbelievable. And because it is completely unbelievable and the complaint is just, you know, it doesn't makes no sense, basically, I you have no, no uh, jurisdiction. I have no jurisdiction because there's really not a, uh, a case here. So uh, 
in that one, the there is a mantra that all courts use, which is the court must accept as true all the well-pled facts of a complaint and read the complaint in the light most favorable to plaintiffs. It is so well known that I know it by heart because you know it's it's everybody knows this. This is the standard for the motion to dismiss. What this means is that you read the complaint and everything that is in there that are it's not you know outrageous things we put in there that for example a private individuals nominate people to the list that is not a conclusory that is a factual statement uh you know all all the statements that's that's why we made so many paragraphs because each paragraph was a statement of fact that was not a conclusory allegation so the district court concluded that it was nothing was believable in the complaint. So that's the first uh, thing we're challenging. And the second thing within that one, uh, we have, because uh, the court said that the plaintiffs had no standing, meaning they didn't establish injury in fact. And uh, on April 8 of 2023, we filed a motion to compel limited discovery for defendants to provide the TDSB status of the 18 plaintiffs. So the court dismissed saying none of these plaintiffs uh, have seen the list or have it. So that the court equated that to saying they didn't plead enough that they're there, that they were there. And that's and that's incorrect. And that's that's one of the issues that we're bringing because the discovery request went. If the court had granted the discovery we asked, the court could not have dismissed the complaint because they the court would have seen that all the plaintiffs are in categories three and four of the TSDB. So by not adjudicating a motion in three months allowed the court to say, well, they haven't even seen the list. They don't know if they're on the list. We No plaintiff goes to court with all the evidence in their hands. So that's one another, another of the issues. The one that says that um, a, they failed to state a claim upon which relief could be granted, well, the other ones underneath, the declaratory, the preliminary injunction, and the mandamus go to that because the court did not discuss in its memorandum and order, whether or not it's legal to have the names of innocent non-terrorists on a terrorist database. The court did not discuss that, and that is our main claim. Okay, so that's one. The second one was the correlation between, obviously, the list and the program. The third is the injunction demanding order FBI to remove the names of innocent people from this list. They have no place there and there's no legal authority because Homeland Security Presidential Directive 6 clearly stated that this was only a law enforcement tool to place the names of known and suspected terrorists. It didn't give any space for secret criteria or any immigration purposes or any other thing. So, and, and the mandamus one, which is very important as well, is when some public official has a non-discretionary duty to act in a certain way. In this particular case, we are demanding that the defendants in their official capacity 
comply with the law and the constitution and stop putting innocent people, non-terrorists on that list and remove the ones that are there because it is repugnant to the statutes, to the rights to the constitution. That the district court did not discuss as well. Even though the court said, oh, they, they have they have no uh, claims that are that they would be entitled to relief. The truth is that these were not discussed. So, yeah, there were claims. It's just that the court didn't get to discuss them based on the fact that allegedly there was no jurisdiction because it was all fantastical. But there is something that's not fantastical. All the claims regarding the illegality of placing innocent people on this list is evidence that comes from the United States government, official irrefutable documents, okay? So I didn't make it up. It all came from them and it cannot be denied. The uh, another, another point that we put in there is that the district court refused to take judicial notice, for example, of a, the information, the, the official document that came from the Congress, from the whistleblowers that testified before Congress that the FBI pays their supervisors uh, between thirty and $50,000, like uh, economic bonuses to put people on, to the, declare people as domestic terrorists, even though they don't meet the criteria. That was uh, testified by Mr. Friend in Congress. So the courts refused that's a, another issue that we've brought in review, refused to take judicial notice under Federal Rule of Evidence 201 uh, of this item when the, the Fifth Circuit's precedent says the court must take judicial notice of things, of documents that meet Rule uh, 201 that, uh, that are trustworthy, right? Uh, for the purposes of analyzing in, in a motion to dismiss in the context. And the DOJ constantly brings documents and asks the court at a pleading stage to take judicial notice for their benefit, right? But in this case, the court uh, refused to take a judicial notice of it, uh, uh, concluding it would constitute hearsay. And it is our position that's wrong because the hearsay rule is when you are in trial. You cannot just accept a document without authenticating it and having somebody testify about its contents. But that's in a trial phase, not at a pleadings phase. So that conclusion contravenes Fifth Circuit precedent. Actually, most if everything we listed there uh, in, in these issues for review are uh, what the district court concluded is opposite to the long-standing Fifth Circuit precedent. So those are the issues. Many of them are within one and two. I also get an impression that all of these things were refused. And if the judge allowed just one, the rest would fall just like a house of cards. Just allow us just one of those things, one of those many, many, many things that, that you asked. You rejected all of them and if you allow just one we wouldn't be having this conversation in the fifth circuit so thank you anna for this uh, analysis as i said uh we broke it in parts so the legal analysis is to be continued but one thing is very clear i can almost see the new orleans skyline from here 
This is where we are going to stop for today with the legal analysis. The defendants have until October 5th to respond, and we have 30 days to digest the arguments Anna is making in this meticulously constructed legal documents. So please take your time and process this information at your own pace. Listen twice, listen with your friends, ask questions, post them on YouTube, Twitter, Substack. Substack now has a chat section and I started a thread just for the legal questions. We are reading your comments. I personally love receiving your well-thought-out suggestions. After all, this is a product of teamwork and love and not a one-way street. But of course, you know that. Yes, along those lines of the comments, and uh, I am very grateful to all the positive comments and the prayers and the solidarity of all the targeted community that has come together. Uh, without you, we can't do this. And to those that are uh, very active in social media, I urge you, we want we want the media to pay attention to us. If you are um, rude or don't treat people with respect in social media, they're not going to respond to you. They're either going to block you or just say, oh, this person's unstable. So just try to um, try to when you address, you know, and make comments, try to be kind and, and talk with facts and don't. And most importantly, don't make it about yourself. This is about 400,000 in the United States and 6 million around the world. Don't make it about yourself because it is more credible when you make the point on behalf of this huge amount of people that are suffering. That interests the media more than just one person. That's that's my two cents, Len. But wait, there's more. When you thought the legal update was over, we have a surprise from the country of India. The Indian Express reported on August 7 of this year that the Karnataka High Court has directed the government center to investigate the possibility of Havana syndrome in India within three months. Have you heard about it, Anna? I have not, but I did see a cell tower up in flames two weeks ago. They put it in social media. It seems that people are getting fed up with what's happening. And and I just, it was impressive. Here's, the, here's how it happened. The petitioner had approached the court requesting a writ of mandamus, sounds familiar, for an inquiry on Havana syndrome in India and the prevention of high-frequency microwave transmission. So I actually got hold of the original court documents. So the High Court of Karnataka on 27th of July of this year, the complaint was filed by this uh, gentleman against a department of telecommunications in India. And this is what the order says. This is a strange case 
where the petitioner has scripted in his principal prayers is as under. This is so hard for me to read because this India has its own judicial language. But the bottom line that the judge ordered a government agency to investigate within three months and come back with um, the results of the investigation, whether Havana syndrome is taking place in India. And I'm just afraid that since the investigation has been assigned to a government officer or government agency, I'm just afraid that the conclusion in three months will be no, there's no Havana syndrome in India. What are your thoughts, Anna? Well, that's a possibility, but at the same rate, it, they have to... India, in India, well, there is a huge population of targeted individuals, and they have to protect their people. And concluding that the phenomenon, I mean, you, you cannot deny it exists because it's there's physical, you know, traces and evidence of it. So it's not like you can, like my mom used to say, you cannot cover the sky with one hand. Like if you put your hand here, yeah, you can say that there, you can cover the sky, but that's not, that's not the case. Where we are right now in history, the dam has cracked. The information is out there. National Academies of Science has its study and uh, the, it's the physical uh, symptoms uh, and, and, and traces, you know, evidence in the people's brains is there. So if they are going to um, corruptly sweep it under the rug, it's going to be very hard because it's, it's, out, it's out there. You know, I, I, I really hope they, they um, defend, they, they work for their people and, and, uh, and call it as, as it is. There is a huge problem in India, as in China, as in Australia, as in Thailand, as in the United States. It's it's huge. You correct me, but I mean, how many months of microwaving, of severe microwaving, does it take to start creating physical changes in the brain? Even one attack, if it's done uh, with high enough power, is enough you can uh, determine physical damage to the vestibular organs and you can detect biomarkers of damage to the blood brain barrier literally within 24 hours after the attack so yes there's evidence there's physical evidence there's biochemical evidence there's plenty of evidence you just have to be willing to look at and i'm just so afraid that the Indian government will come back and will say, well, maybe it's a real thing, but we don't have any evidence that it happens in India. And this is a call to anybody out there who has that kind of evidence in Indian population. And I understand this is a different country, different rules, but the question has been asked, is Havana syndrome happening in India? And I'm afraid that no amount of United States and international experts will convince the Indian government that it is happening in India unless the evidence is produced in the Indian population. So that's 
the gravity of this task. I'm calling to every everybody who listens to pod, podcast to think about it in these terms. If you have any evidence of Havana syndrome in Indian population, maybe Indian individuals who reside in India, if you know that they have experience and they have some medical evidence, please reach out to me and I will then reach out to the um, uh, people connected with this lawsuit. And you are absolutely right. India is a humongous country. It's almost 18% of world population, 1.4 billion. Uh, I think uh, above that is only China. And if you just extrapolate, if we think 6 million people in the targeted uh, uh, screening database are targeted individuals, just a pure extrapolation, then there's a million of uh, targeted individuals in India. Can you imagine a million targets if they can get together and join forces? Well, Len, I just have to say something, which is sometimes we tend to overlook, and is the impact of the microwave attacks on the developing brain of children. We know that children, toddlers, are being microwaved because they are targeted along with their parents. And the Havana syndromes, correct me if I'm wrong, the Havana syndrome studies that there are are all on adult brains. But I just can't fathom the cumulative damage to children. I mean, what is going to happen to the brain of a child, a developing brain that is being microwaved every day? That is a terrible thought. They clearly, if the damage is done to a developing brain, it just will never achieve its full potential. And it is frightening. It is terrible. And it, it is extremely disturbing. So very good point, Anna. Another reason to fight. Speaking of large countries, the largest country uh, in South America, of course, is Brazil, with its population of 216 million people. So let's talk to our first ever ambassador of targeted justice to Brazil, Dr. Valdemir de Oliveira. Valdemir? Oh, thank you, Len. Thank you, Anna. Wonderful intellectual work you guys are producing. It's, it requires so much effort. It's unbelievable what you guys are doing. And this is so important to share here in Brazil. We need to inform people about this. I, I met uh, several people on the internet that claims to be target individuals. Yesterday night, I just received another one. Imagine now that I'm gonna be ambassador, is an honor, honor, and I will be fighting for that for, for sure. But before, I just gonna show one t-shirt here. You're gonna understand that. Before I get the t-shirt that Anna gets, which is wonderful, I want to show this t-shirt here. You're gonna understand later in my presentations, why are you wear this t-shirt now? There's a purpose for that. Let me give uh, a little background about the ambassadorship uh, program uh, that we conceived. When we realized that our website, uh, targetedjustice.com, is not being accessed from the countries known for their extensive targeting programs, countries like Japan, Malaysia, India, Brazil, we asked an internet expert, how could this be remedied? 
and he suggested translating the website into their respective languages and using a country-specific website host. Of course, we cannot do it alone, and that's exactly how the ambassadorship idea was born. Soon, residents of Brazil will be able to access targetedjustice.br, which will be in Portuguese, thanks to the effort of Valdimir. So thank you for that. And Valdimir, you have an impressive resume. You have um, PhD in marketing from uh, the Manchester School in the uh, United Kingdom. You speak with confidence. You understand what's going on. You, I know you have prepared a presentation. I would like to listen to your presentation. And then I would also uh, hear about certain highlights in your targeting history. Please go ahead with the presentation. I prepare one slide with a little bit of background about what's been happening to me in the last, since 2010. So I would say the last 13 years, I was living in England uh, between 2005 and 2014, 15. So it was a difficult time. And let's see, let's see what happens. So how it all started. Last quarter of 2009, I, I must say before that, that I was having a wonderful life in Britain between 2005 and 2009. I was married, I was studying, I was doing, I did an MBA, so I did a master. And, and after that, very nice, wonderful life. But then I entered the PhD uh, at the University of Manchester and the last quarter of 2009, I'm, I must say, that's the only thing I can think of that must be the reason why I was put in the radar. So I sent a list of Arabic speakers during the PhD director's presentation at my university in Britain, thinking it was for a gathering event. So at the time, it, I was watching the, the presentation and I, okay, a list here, names, Arabic names, why Arabic names only? Okay, let's sign. I, I know these people, so maybe they're gathering together. So I, I have friends that are Ara uh, Arabic speakers. So later, on 27th of December, my wife and I were at Heathrow Airport, Terminal 5, London, coming back from Stuttgart, me, Germany, uh, Christmas time. A man of average stature and Indian origin wearing a turban passed in front of me in the lounge three times, back and forth, staring at me. I noticed that, and I saw he started to follow me from the lounge to the gate to Manchester flight at night, so from London to, to Manchester. He then sits beside me in one side, and my ex-wife was immediately approached by an, air, an airport operator on the other side, asking loads of questions about us. Then the man pick up our flight and follow us to Manchester. I suspect, well, a passenger wouldn't do that. Any passenger, any terrorist. I suspect he was undercover police officer from Hitler. Hitler. So undercover police officer from Hitler is a Scotland Yard. And Scotland Yard, uh, perhaps from the special branch SO15 intelligence office. They are the ones responsible to, to understand what's going on in an airport. And 
Two days before, on the Christmas Day, there was an attempt of a terrorist attack in a flight from Amsterdam to Detroit. Uh, so MI5 announced on that particular time an imminent threat of attack nationwide. So what happened is the, 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 the police was all over the place. They were everywhere. And these guys were undercover in, in very uh, challenging situations. And I got that kind of situation. So I, I realized I was being uh, followed. So I, I follow, a, I, I wrote a petition to IPT, uh, Investigatory Powers Tribunal, uh, which was a watchdog from the police stating, oh, this is just too much. I have a normal passenger, I am honest uh, and have never had any criminal background. What happening with these guys following me? I th uh, and then they dismissed. They said, no, we have no no reasons to believe you're, there's anything of the kind you're suggesting. So they dismissed. Okay, there we go. 2010-2014. February 2010, I heard a voice in the head for the first time. I noticed that uh, that but I didn't give too much attention. I just uh, say oh, something weird. And in May I started to be following streets by some people. At some point in the first semester of 2010, I received oh that's terrible. What happened next is just terrible. I received a link from a website suggesting adult encounters. I inadvertently clicked on the link and a photo of approximately seven naked children aged between seven and 10 years appeared in my screen. I was appalled and shocked and I closed it immediately. So it's weird that uh, this situation happened in my life. I'm a 52 years old at the time I was 40. I never had any kind of problems like this before. Where on earth this leak came from? So it took me 10 years to identify the owner of the website. And I know him now. I know that he was responsible for the website. And he has to explain things in court later. Uh, the website is just a, a white label platform. He produces uh, for, for someone else to, to explore the situation. Not much after that, I start to hear derogatory comments apparently coming from the neighborhood. I thought it was from the neighborhood anyway. I didn't have a clue about that in the, at the time. But uh, guess what? They were talking about the photo. What a coincidence. The guy is talking about the photo, the, the, the voices that I start to hear. Was not that something weird? Something that should be just known by me? How could on earth someone else uh, knowing that? So that was between 2010, 2014. Uh, then it came the overt surveillance part. Between 2011 and 2014, I started to hear lots of voice all the time, everywhere. And remember, I was doing a PhD. I was trying to, to, come, to cope with the challenges of a PhD. So I was hearing, oh, he's a pedo, oh, he has to, to go to jail, he, oh, that's it, all kinds of sources, voices. So I have to interrupt my PhD. I interrupted three times on this period. Uh, 
And my, my supervisors were wonderful. They gave me very nice support. Unfortunately, one supervisor passed away without knowing what's going on, what this is about. He was appalled what what I said. So I was in distress and I came back to my home country in August 2011 in a short break in order to have an appointment with a psychiatrist. Guess what the psychiatrist told me? Oh, you're hearing voices, so you must be having a delusional disorder. So I have been followed and severely harassed in all three flights that I took between England and Brazil during that period. It was noticeable during the 2013 flight a discussion that took place during the flight between what appeared to be an English group and a Brazilian group. They surrounded me, they sit all over me, around me on the, on the flight and walk in the airplane. So I'm not uh, referring to voices that are hearing during the airplane. I'm referring to what I saw. They walk from the fr front of the plane and came back to my area and a lady, a Brazilian lady told, oh, I don't like this guy, but He's innocent. Let's interrupt this plan. And then my English guy said, no, 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 we cannot discuss this in the airplane. You, you're going to go ahead with this, don't you? So they kept that the kind of discussion. I was, well, what's going on here? What kind of situation is this? Who are these people? Well, they talk about so uh, private issues about myself. So in 2014, my wife had just enough that she had too much, and she asked for divorce three months before my viva. So my supervisor just asked me, oh, come on, want to interrupt again? No, 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 I have to finish. It's terrible. I'm depressed. It's horrible. I, I lived with 22 years with my ex-wife, so I didn't want that to happen, but I understand what's happening. It's too much for her, so let's let's okay, let's follow, let's look for life and see how it goes. And then in 2015, I got my PhD, despite all the voice in the head, I returned for good to Brazil. In 2016, the voice changes from English speakers to Brazilians. Weird, isn't it? If you were a schizophrenic, how come on earth that the voices change language for all of a sudden? And it's coincidence uh, with the time that you changed country. Was not that interesting? Between 2015 and 17, it was the worst period of my life. I never had anything like that before. I started to consider suicide. I told my psychiatrist, and my psychiatrist ordered a hospitalization because I, I couldn't have a place that I could stay calm. I, I, I try to go out and I hear the voices. I try to stay at home. I, I just hear the voice during the night. I was afraid to go to bed. So I have no place to stay calm. And my 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 mother, an 18 years old person who has health issues, start to cry and the guys didn't stop. They keep going, they keep harassing. She was watching, witnessing my situation and cry all the time. Imagine how cruel is this? And I visit the psychiatric hospital, psychic hospital, but uh, the people there was much worse than me. I thought, no, I'm not going to stay here. It's not healthy for me. And I'm going to bounce back and 
I'm going to stay at home. I, fortunately, I live with my parents in a wonderful place here in the countryside. So I start to adopt my, my life to a kind of targeting style of life. So as I moved to a rural area, I, I got just uh, less stressed and I start to get engaged myself with this situation in order to try to understand what's going on. So I think the recovery come between this period, 2018, 2023. During this period, I learned about the term gang stalking and I start to search for explanations. I made a great deal of progress since then, understanding everything about the TI program. I spent twice as much time studying the TI phenomena as I spent doing my PhD. So it has been five years that I have no more episodes of irritation, despair, and panic attacks. And however, the voice 2K, paradoxically, increased severely 24-7, and I became less responsive to the voice's attacks. So what happened is, as soon as I get to get resistance to the provocations, to the, to the attacks, they increase the severity of that. And I ask my, my psychologist, my psychiatrist, it's not uh, weird that when you get better, you hear more. And by the way, the voices, uh, doesn't, the voice doesn't stop after any medication, try anything. It doesn't stop. Like Dr. John Hall said, uh, in people who are targeting individuals doesn't respond to medication. And here we go. I have here, as you can see, uh, it's from Amy Audio, subliminal acoustic fingerprint. Amy is doing a great job for Ecator. Ecator, our counterpart in Bell in Brussels, in Brussels. So she recorded, I recorded my audio and sent to her, and she said, Oh, definitely you have something here. Uh, we have plenty of conversations between criminals in your audio. And then we have almost 10,000 verbatim. So here's an evidence that uh, Amy is working for, for the court case in Europe that uh, shows how a way to track the two cases. So now I'm going to show something that you're going to find very interesting. So I was back in Brazil. And here we go a manual of psychological operations from the Brazilian Army. Ministério da Defesa Exército Maior, Brazilian Army, Psychological Operations Edition, third edition. So this is was done to help uh, army officers to understand about how it goes with psychological operations in advertisement, in, in propaganda campaign against an enemy, but they adapt that to the target individual program. And I'm gonna show you, I show the evidence here. So incredible uh, link between what I hear and what they say, the voices tell me. So here we go, uh, technicians used for propaganda, generalities. Oh, everybody in England hates him. Some kind of word that resembles what the, tech, the technical says. Oh, general, brilliant uh, comments. Oh, look how beautiful is his life. They talk about me like this now. 
their voice, they're less aggressive now. But who look how beautiful is his life. They repeat this so many times for me. Uh, simplification, all eyes on him. When I was in England, they said, all eyes on him. And now, after being named uh, ambassador, they said, stop everything now. So it's a kind of technique that they use that resembles the, the others. Familiar situation. Oh, his brother doesn't like him. Oh, his mother, his mother has Alzheimer's. And there we go. And then we have more here. Adoption to the majority. Everybody looking for the X website. X website was my neighbor. They tried to, to accuse her of uh, being the responsible for, for my situation. And nobody's looking at his website. When they claim that we, I had a website and she has a website. They repeated it so many times. Uh, witnesses, testimony, witnesses. Witnesses, oh, Bolsonaro. Bolsonaro is the name of our ex-president. Bolsonaro is, close, is going to close the, the case. So this is an appeal to use a very important person in order to show that there is a weight in what they are saying. And oh, Biden is talking to the Pope about him. Uh, this is because I submit uh, 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 Twitter to the Pope, to Biden. I submit Twitter to everybody and saying, oh, there's a case here. To even the King Charles. I submit the people to British Rishi Sunak. So they use these people, the voices use these people to say, oh, they are doing this, oh, Bolsonaro is going to close the case, oh, Biden is talking to the Pope. So this is a kind of technique used that they call testimonial witnesses. Here is some more. There's plenty of more, but I haven't got, I haven't got time for, for, for all of them. So I just highlight some of them here. So incitation. Oh, the West is going to take the case. Because they admit that they cannot deal with me anymore because it's just five years and I don't respond. I'm relaxed and calm. I make jokes about them. And they, they, just, they just come and say, oh, the West is going to take the case. Like presenting something as a heavyweight. Uh, repetition. Are you sure he's not a pedophile? Oh, they repeat these so many times. Unbelievable. Frap. They spend one night saying good things. So they spend like six hours saying good things. And then on the other day, I'm, rely, I'm relaxed and they come up again, attack and say all the previous things that they are doing. So trap is an, another kind of, and these are in the army manual. Rumors. It looks like his ex-neighbor has a plan to kill him. I heard that two weeks ago. It, it looks like, so they plant a rumor about the situation. Personal attacks. Ah, I really don't like this guy. I hate him. He's fat. He's alcoholic. He's lazy. So all these things. Can you see the relationship between what I hear and what the manual says? An incredible coincidence. But someone from outside could say, oh, man, that's just a coincidence. Okay, so if you have not enough of coincidence, let's show a little bit more. Let's go for the next slide. These two guys, they are stalkers. And this couple sits at the same table in a motoring restaurant, a hundred kilometers away from home, from my home. I stop them from time to, I stop there, sorry, there is a mistake here. I stop there in the restaurant. 
from time to time at random times and days. Look, random times and days. How could on earth these guys be there? So the woman uses fake ID. I follow her to the counter and I took note of her ID because here in Brazil, we have uh, we can ask for receive a fiscal note of our expenses. And the, the person asks, oh, do you want a, a fiscal invoice? And then you, you, it's up to you to decide. So she said, oh, I guess I want. And she gave her ID and I took note of her ID and I hired a private investigator and guess what? He used a fake ID. And they laugh at me at the times, they stare at me. So clearly a stalking situation. But guess what? It gets worse. Look at this guy. See his arms? He was uh, wearing a t-shirt that says, and at the time I was trying to understand the situation in Brazil, but because I took too much time studying the, the foreigner situation, the British situation, and I didn't pay too much, I admit, I didn't pay too much attention to Brazil. When I realized there is a manual of torture by the army, I saw this guy came when, when I was in Sao Paulo, 100 kilometers from here, and wearing this, the T-shirt. And his T-shirt is written, still trying to figure out. So my response to him is this. I have already figured out. Okay? So guess what this guy does for a living? Do you have an idea, Len? I have no clue. I'm on the edge of my seat. Okay, so I'm going to show what he guys does for a living. He works for the counterterrorism intelligence officer. Unbelievable. And I have more than two sources that confirmed that to me. So what I did, I took a picture of him and I tried to submit my picture to Allison Smith from Ecator, the secretary from Melanie Richter, immediately after I took the picture. Look at the side. I couldn't send the picture for to February 2023. I couldn't send the picture in my email, my phone. So how on earth this guy, which is just a coincidence, came to know that I was about to send a picture to Ecator? How he knew that? Or someone? So this shows that there is a link between ground floor operations and someone from the intelligence officer. So what I did, I start to search for, for explanations, more specifically in Brazil, in Sao Paulo. And then I realized, oh, take a look at this before I show the next slide. Take a look at this. It's a video, short video. Hi, people. Uh, as you can see, these videos are not working. These are important videos. Is just to show that something really weird is going on. I tried to download the video. I can't find the video, and the video is important. I'll tell you in a follow uh, in another uh, email uh, what is this related to. Don't worry. So I just want to record here that the video is not working. I cannot click on the video, and this video is very important. Thank you. So this video was about him. And I never, I had used WhatsApp for 2013, I would say, 10 years I used WhatsApp. It never frozen before. 
But on that particular moment, my WhatsApp froze. I couldn't send the video to anybody. And I, uh, I tried my mother's phone. It didn't work. My housekeeper's Instagram, it didn't work. All, all of them frozen. I was hacked on that day. I tried to submit to the police an explanation of my hack. It didn't work. So can you see the link? Someone from outside would say, oh, it's just a coincidence over there. So uh, here he goes. I start to, to search for explanation. And the counterterrorism unit, uh, co-here popularly as BOPI, uh, as a special branch for terrorism unit, is an intelligence unit. Uh, I'm not talking about the tactical side, the people who are heavily guarded, uh, armed. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the intelligence unit. So there is a neighborhood in Sao Paulo called Villa Mariana. And I found that these actually exist because you see here YouTube, and Bopi Villa Mariana. So it's, it, it shows, I cannot show this video because I don't want to compromise uh, more people or identify anybody. But this video shows that this unit really exists. I couldn't find the building though. I tried to find the building, I couldn't find, there's no information about the building, but I realized I don't need to find this building because I realized later so I got this organogram here from the police. So the source is military police of São Paulo, Brazil. He's the general commanded, commanded. And here is something interesting. This unit is here. This unit is here, uh, counter-terrorism unit. But above them, there is another unit called counter of intelligence of military police. And this unit provides information to the the, the BOPI unit. So it must be here that something happens, that they know what's going on. They must have information. They must have received information about myself from the British. And I believe they are, I believe that they are all, they have all the capabilities to run this. And let's understand why. Let's understand why. So I put here, a slide that shows the, the link between the FBI and this terrorist unit, uh, anti-terrorist unit, counter-terrorist unit. And here they say, together we are stronger. So this proves that they link, they work together on this. So if we are suing the FBI, it's likely that you need to sue later in Brazil, these guys. And here it goes, uh, something I, I just put here. So what may be doing in Brazil? I found out the first battalion of psychological operations in Goiânia, center of Brazil, a special branch from the army released a manual of psychological operations. And there were striking similarities between the techniques of psychological tactics and what I hear 24 seven. I was gang stalking by a member of the counterterrorism unit, the intelligence division from Bob Villa Mariana, Sao Paulo. I found out that the CPM, CIPM, uh, Center of Intelligence for Military Police of Sao Paulo, is the source of intelligence data to Bob. And therefore, here it appears that the army supplied the infrastructure and the regional military police may do the stalking because the army doesn't have the natural, the cap capillarity to reach 
the entire country. So they need local police officers to do the stalking for them. So that's what's maybe going on. And in conclusion, I would say, I'm not stating that the military police definitely carries over the TI program in Sao Paulo, but they are the only actors in the ecosystem which have the capability to do so. Because of a culture of high secrecy, nobody knows what's going on there, a limited budget, more than 1 billion real in 2023, unlimited personnel, thousands of police officers working for the corporation, highly guarded building that protects from outside inspection without supervision, high disciplinary protocols which penalize whistleblowers. So I ask myself many times, why these people never give up talking? Oh, this is okay, we can say there's automated. But there is a, a level of uh, life comments as well. And they never stop. They work in shift. Only the police can have this kind of situation. Not criminals from outside. Uh, they don't have the discipline to go and keep the situation going. So they are high disciplinary protocols that penalize whistleblowers. They're dedicated personnel who spend years building a career and have financial compensation and stability for them and their members family members, they act, They have access to state-of-the-art surveillance technology. It's wrong here, technology. They have national reach through the each police unit on every county, but with local presence. And they have an international network and partnership with FBI, Scotland Yard, and many other international law enforcement bodies. So it must be the best actor to, to propagate this TI program, to establish this TI program. There we go. Bern, with you. Thank you. Thank you very much, Valdimir. Your story has really some key elements. It has the Arab speaker connection, which most likely uh, connected you with uh, the TSDB. And then it has the elements of V2K. It has the element of entrapment, a very clear element of entrapment. The most fascinating thing to me was the handover from the British to uh, Portuguese v v v V2K. That I never heard. And you've done an extremely good detective work uh, to present all this information. I'm just really impressed. And what I'm also impressed about is how you personally handle the situation because it takes intellectual integrity and takes a lot of composure to maintain your situation and be a responsible member of society and somebody who can represent targeted justice in Brazil. And so we have once again, congratulations on this important position. Now you're responsible for the entire country of Brazil for educating other targeted individuals about this atrocious program. Anna, do you have any questions or any comments about this? No, I, I am just uh, so impressed how, you know, he meticulously was able to notice and document things because many, many targeted individuals go for years uh, being targeted without realizing it and you know the way he documented it and, and and did it i think it's it's uh it's so good and, and this goes to what i tell people to do their journaling 
because uh, you know memory fails us, particularly if we have a Vana syndrome. And it is so important to journal and to keep such detailed records and little things that seem unimportant, they really are. And and I just uh, commend him because it's uh, it's a really sound uh, account of how his targeting came about. Of course, we don't know the other side, you know, the the, the black side, the, the perpetrator side, which one day we hopefully we can all discover. But I I really commend him because that that gives credibility. To, to to you know to targeted people uh it took me 10 years to identify the the owner of the website who traps me but uh he got nine thousand pounds nine thousand pounds almost one million pounds two months uh, two months after i leave the country so he he has a very weird kind of uh business work and and people are getting money from it for this well, here's the thing. You're probably not the only victim, except that you are probably the smartest or more well-educated person that was able to pin this down. But God only knows how many people, and they know how many people he was able to entrap. And that's one thing that I always, I'm telling everybody that we have to be so careful about, you know, simple things as, you know, uh, accepting a job as a nanny. You can't do that if you're a targeted individual because they will frame you and call you a pedophile. Or, I mean, there's just so many things that we have to be so extra careful about because these people will will, will make up anything. So we don't know how many victims like you were victims of that person. It's interesting to me that this is the second episode in a row that the V2K aspect of this program is the in the center of our discussion. Last time, uh, we had a very interesting conversation and we went over the mainstream media mentions of this technology. And so just as an appendix to that, I want to give you just a couple more slides on the technological issues. So you would also be able to explain in plain English how it is technologically possible. I call this presentation sensation of hearing part two, because the first one was just called sensation of hearing. But this is, once again, about understanding the V2K phenomenon only from a more technological aspect of this. The centerpiece of V2K technology that we mentioned on Targeted Justice <laughs> website all over, and it's in all the writing, everybody knows, knows about it, that the basic technology is described in the 1988 patent number 4877027. And here's the first page of it. So this patent talks about using microwave range radio waves in the range of between 100 and 10,000 megahertz. And I want to remind you that acoustic range, the audio waves that we hear, they also have frequency, but they're in the frequency between 20 and 20,000 kilohertz. So the difference between kilo and megahertz is a thousand times. So at that frequency range, they're no longer audible. However, you can use them in a modulated form. The Frey effect that we talked about in the last episode 
talks about modulated and pulsed microwave effect that it does produce a sensation of hearing. And this patent also talks about modulation of microwaves. It's not just the microwaves that produce this effect. The, the waves have to be modulated. There are two main ways how they can be modulated. It can be modulated to add burst, bursts and pulses, and it's pretty self-explanatory that it's not a continuous wave. It comes in bursts and pulses. And the second time of modulation, which is a little harder to understand, this is why I included the next slide. It's a modulation of a waveform. So imagine that acoustic signal, for example, on top, the red line, that's an acoustic signal that has a waveform. For example, it, it corresponds with some, some word and it's an audible range. And this is what the wave looks like. Then in the middle, you see a microwave. It's a, the frequency is much, much, much faster, like a thousand, thousand, uh, the frequencies a thousand times higher. But then you can modulate and imprint that audible acoustic signal onto this microwave and change the shape of this microwave, making it a modulated microwave. And that's what produces a V2K, a hearing effect, a, a, a sensation of hearing without having an acoustic sound. And I hope I explained it in a way that you can understand, you can use in your conversations, that you can educate your psychiatrists, physicians, anybody. How is it that you can hear a microwave? You can hear it because of the modulation of these microwaves by producing bursts, pulses, and the shape of the wave. So now, after this presentation, can you explain how V2K works, Valdimir? Absolutely. And I have here with me, uh, what you can see here is a spectral analyzer. I learned with Richard Lighthouse, looking at the website, and I got a 400 megahertz signal here that is not allowed to have the signal in the mainstream. So I got in my direction, come from the cell tower. So I did some analysis and they stopped transmitting, strangely, they stopped transmitting 400 megahertz. They start to transmit on the same signal of my Wi-Fi, 2.4 gigahertz. Correct, Valdemir. It, it's very hard to jam a signal because the frequency of the carrier wave, of the wave that carries that signal, almost doesn't matter. This, this pattern talks about between 100 and 10,000 kilohertz, but it can be in gigahertz. It can be basically the frequency of the carrier wave almost doesn't matter. What matters is how it is modulated. It is modulated into pulses and the shape of the wave. And that is the takeaway message for me, I hope. Now everybody can understand the technological aspects of V2K and explain it to your relatives, to your loved ones, to your friends, and be understood. 
So our show is coming to an end. Our awesome show is coming to an end. And I would like to hear some final thoughts from Anna and Valdimir. Anna, why don't you go first? Well, again, I want to thank you for um, for my my weekly uh, for this weekly show that uh, is so important to all of us because it has um, the purpose. It has served the purpose of uh, explaining why we should all be hopeful that we're going to be free very soon. Uh, the people behind this program never fathomed that the truth would come out and it has come out in so many ways particularly this week as you know greg reese uh published a report on targeted individuals that has had uh, yesterday it had had over three hundred eighty-four thousand views and so did uh the group anonymous they sort of used some of his clip without his authorization but they put it there out there and um, the important thing is that yesterday, the PACER system uh, for the Southern District of Texas uh, was having problems. Um, I believe that it could be either hacking or other people think it's that because so many people were looking up our lawsuit. Either way, what's important is that the word is getting out there, the dam has cracked, and there is no stopping the deluge of the truth which is going to set us free. And uh, I just, I'm just relishing on it because I, I know what's going to happen uh, with the help also of the boots on the ground, the grassroots organizing of the targeted community, continue sending your letters to the cell tower companies, continue. We're going to start the churches now. It's every single one of you out there is like, it's our ambassador. And, and we need to, like you say, explain to friends and relatives in cool, collected, this is a matter of law. It's a question of law. Innocent people should not be on a terrorist database placed there secretly without giving due process an opportunity to confront the evidence, the evidence against them and the opportunity to be removed from a list that defames them. So that's my long, short message. Thank you, Len. Thank you, Anna. Uh, I can't wait to hear your final words, Valdimir. Your presentation really impressed me. It was a, a wonderful experience to see you present. So Valdimir, please, your final thoughts. Thank you, Len. Thank you, Anna. Uh, I think uh, with, with the ambassador, which is an honor, comes responsibility. And I wasn't ready for that before. So maybe some conspiracy, the world is conspiring to help us because uh, to be honest, uh, I I couldn't figure out these things just some months before. And you came in Wapir, we met each other uh, from Ikatur, the website and, and, and in a meeting and you said, oh, I, I said, Glenn, you're doing an amazing job and you invited me. So I thought, I'm ready. I'm ready for to face that. Uh, there is some costs, of, uh, however. My my parents are scared. My mother is a little bit concerned about being exposed. My father doesn't understand a bit what's going on. He's He asked me just about before the, the website that, oh, are you sure you're going to get the right things? You're not concerning. 
So we have costs at the family level, but we have to go beyond that because we have a mission. And I found my mission Nursa, for my life. I want to fight for exposing what the criminals, the elite are doing, what these corporations are doing. It could be much worse. And I don't want to see my nephew, which is a three-year-old boy, uh, facing uh, fascism later in life, who has no concerns about uh, life of beings and well-being. So we have to fight now. And I'm ready for that. I, I accept your challenge to host a podcast here in Brazil. Although I have no skills like you at your level. I'm far away from that, but I'm going to get there. And we're going to host a podcast here. going to invite people to have a channel for a reliable source. Thank you, Len. Thank you very much, Valdemir. You, that's such an inspiration, inspirational message. It mirrors my thoughts about how things happen for a reason. Anna and I like to use the word synchronicity. Things happen when they have to happen. I, I, met, I met you exactly when I was supposed to meet you. And thank you for accepting this challenge. Sometimes you don't find the purpose. The purpose, the mission finds you. And thank you for accepting this challenge. And the fact that you are our first international ambassador. We have big ambitions at Targeted Justice. We understand how this court case will create a legal path for liberation of targeted individuals all over the world. How it will reverberate throughout the Targeted Justice community. All the 6 million people that are suffering without justice, without any hope of receiving their life back. So thank you, Valdimir. You're part of the team. You're part of our worldwide mission. And as for me, I'm calling this episode course correction because we expect the judges in the Fifth Circuit to overturn the laughable, the non-factual, and I think staged dismissal of our well-pleaded case. When I think about how much in the life of targeted individuals has been staged, scripted, intentionally directed, I compare it with performance art with the purpose to ruin the lives of the targets. But should we allow performance art in our courts? Anna Toledo, in her legal brief, points out to incontrovertible facts that cannot be and must not be turned into another staged event. The Constitution doesn't tolerate it. The separation of power doesn't tolerate it. And we, the people, don't tolerate it. What's been wrongfully adjudicated must be rightfully corrected. Until that happens, we will be here every Sunday. Rain or shade.